Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, host and creator of the Right Fit Method, the key to professional and personal success. Now, let's join Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. It's our 50th show today. I am delighted that you can join me. In uncertain times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit Method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Today, I will focus on how to implement my Right Fit Method to achieve life balance. Changing your core identity is one way of doing that. Have you ever wondered why your search for the right fit spouse, the right fit house, or the right fit career has not produced the results you want? I know why. We search for the best. What's amazing is that when we search for the best, we frequently select wrong fits. Perhaps you are perplexed. Picture a rat-infested barrel of apples. Compare and contrast. Select one. What do you have? A rat-infested rotten apple. If the person you pick to marry is one of those rotten apples, you have picked the wrong fit. If the career you selected is one of those rotten apples, you picked the wrong fit. You must search for the right fit. To do that, you must create a blueprint of the right fit for whatever or whomever you are searching. Here's a simple example. If you are planning to buy a car, I expect you would figure out the specs of the right fit car. This would include the year, model, price, and color. The list could go on and on. That list is what I call a blueprint. Is each spec of equal importance? Probably not. I expect that some specs are absolutely necessary. Others matter less, but nice to have. Weighting the importance of each spec turns the blueprint into a blended blueprint, which is a term I created. If you have lots of blended blueprints, you can stop making wrong choices. I'll show you how to do this during the interview segment of the show. Let's dig deeper. Today, on this special call-in show, The Right Fit Method Strikes a Nerve, What is Your Core Identity Assumptions Quotient, CIAQ? I will strike the core identity nerve in my guest interviews. Picture an apple with a core. With the precision of a surgeon, I will cut the apple in half in order to examine its core. 
In my conversations with call-in guests, I will probe to reach the essence of their unusual core identity transformations. For many, changing core identities is a daunting task coupled with fear. For others, it is a joy. What about you? Have you found the right fit core identity? During the show, be sure to take my Core Identity Assumptions Quotient Quiz to find out what erroneous assumptions you are making, which can prevent you from changing core identities. To learn more about finding your core identity right now, read Chapter 4, Your Core Identity, Know Thyself Now, in my book, Win Without Competing. Before I speak with our call-in guests, I want you to take my Core Identity Assumptions Quotient Quiz. Please take a piece of paper and write the numbers 1 to 5 so that you can jot down your response next to each number. Write T if the statement is true and F if the statement is false. Question 1. I will never have to change my Core Identity. Question two, I have searched for my core identity throughout my life and decided that I cannot find it. Question three, my personal life has no effect on my core identity. Question four, I cannot change my core identity over and over throughout my life. Question five, I must follow in the footsteps of my family in selecting my core identity. Hold on to your responses. After I speak with the call-in guests, I will give you the answers with explanations. On to my guests. My first guest is Claire Taronis an entrepreneur who is the founder of the Hands-Free Pump Bra Company. Yes, you heard me correctly, Hands-Free Pump Bra. Welcome, Claire, to Win Without Competing. Hi, Dr. Barrow. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, I'm excited it's to my be here. pleasure. You started your career as an event planner. Why did you select event planning? I grew up loving events. I went to a lot of conventions as a child with my parents, and it was just something that came naturally. Organizing people and putting plans and to-do lists together was a natural fit for me, and so that's what I initially went into. Did your family do anything in the event arena no 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 by no means um i had a dad who went to a lot of conventions and so a lot of our family vacations growing up were going to conventions and we went to one at this beautiful resort out in hawaii and i thought they're paying someone to do all this to find these hotels and do this and i said to myself this is what i wanted to do so i knew very young um, what i wanted to get into so that was a passion of yours early in your life. Absolutely. 
Initially, you worked for a top event planning and logistics company, which helped organize the NFL Super Bowl and U.S. Pond Hockey Championships. Why did you leave this company to start your own event planning company? Um, great question. I absolutely loved my job and loved event planning, but I rearranged some of my priorities in life and knew that I wanted to be my own boss, knew I, as much as I loved working, you know, at these events, it required 100 plus hour weeks. And I switched some of my priorities to be more with my family and um, give myself a little flexibility in my life so I could still do those events, but still have the choice to say, no, you know what, this week is really important and I want to be at something else. So I chose to start my own event planning company with a business partner. So in essence, you switched from an employee mindset to an entrepreneur mindset. Correct, which is a scary leap. (laughs) Absolutely, no question. I've done it myself. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Initially, you had a blueprint for a position in an event company, and you had a very good position in that company, so that you didn't need to leave. It was your own decision, correct, Claire? That is correct. Okay, great. So after running your company for three years, you had your first child, a baby girl. You decided to breastfeed your daughter and tried many breast pumping devices in order to bottle the milk. What did you not like about the breast pumping devices that you were using? Absolutely. Um, Just a little background. And a breast pump is not something I invented. They're sold widely all over stores. And they're little machines that are about the size of a purse, and they come with these cups. And the cups fit right over a woman's breast, and they connect to baby bottles and tubing. So when you turn the pump on, these pumps um, pump the breast milk into a machine, or into the the machine pumps it into these bottles, and then you can freeze it or give it to your child. And during this time, you have to actually hold those cups onto your breast. And bear in mind, the average mom who pumps pumps every three hours for 15 to 30 minutes, which is about three hours a day. So that's what I was up against when my daughter came home. And I was trying to balance doing my event planning company because the beauty of working for yourself is you get to pick when you want to work. But the downfall is you're the one who has to work. So I was trying to balance this new baby, figuring out what a baby needs, trying to do my pumping every three hours, trying to plan my events and get all my work done, and I wore thin. So I went online, and I found a few groups of moms. They were called exclusive pumpers. You know, I asked them, what what did you guys do? And a lot of them said that they were struggling through because I felt like I was wasting time. Every three hours I was holding these things and just sitting there thinking about all the things I needed to do. And so a few of them mentioned, oh, there's these other bras. So I tried them. One of them I had to take my shirt off every time. Another one was it didn't hold the milk on, so then I was spilling, which was even a bigger mess. And so I created my own hands-free pump bra, which 
is a bra that you put on in the morning like a regular bra, and then it holds the cups on while you're pumping. So I got my hands back, and life was great. So that the actual pumping device is fine. The issue Mm -hmm. is how to actually use it, correct? Correct, because um, it's time-consuming to sit there and hold these cups. I mean, it's a wonderful thing you can... It allows working moms or moms with babies in the NICU or moms that need to be away from their babies that still want to give them breast milk. Pumps allow them to do that. But the drawback is who wants to sit for three hours a day holding things to their chest just to make it happen? I mean, I could be answering emails or checking up on the baby or getting chores done, but instead my hands were tied. So in essence... The major benefit is that you don't need to hold the pump, correct? So that was what you were dissatisfied. Correct. Because I asked, you know, what did you not like about the breast pumping devices that you were using? And that really seems to be the major dissatisfaction. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, terrific. Going further... How did you actually design the bra itself? I mean, in other words, what specs did you create? Did you take a bra that was already on the market and modify it? What did you do? I took, yes, I took a bra, that, um, like a standard sports bra. I modified it to the needs of a hands-free bra that would, because there is, I'm not the only one out there, but, I needed to create one that I could wear all day. I didn't want to take my shirt off every time. And um, it had to be something that was feasible. I mean, I wanted to wear it and put put my pumps on, take them back out, and not have to be undressing or spilling my milk. Or So that's what I needed. Okay. But is there another one out there that's exactly like yours or is yours unique? Mine is unique. Mine is um, the only one that I've ever found that you can wear all day as a regular bra that still provides all your hands-free needs. Okay. Going further, how did you turn the blueprint into a thriving business after you designed the bra? Interestingly enough, you know, entrepreneurs frequently fail after they create their invention because they can't make the invention into a profitable business. So what exactly did you do to create a business plan that worked? Um, I guess I what I did was, okay, one day I was, I had a meeting, and uh, the morning was really crazy. I had the sitter come, and I still hadn't pumped, but I had to leave for my meeting. So daring as I was, I checked to make sure there was batteries in my pump, went, got in the car, hooked the pump up, and took off for my meeting and started driving and pumping. And I couldn't – I didn't concentrate on what my meeting was about or anything. I was so excited that I had discovered I could – pump and drive. I was I thought I had found the holy grail of pumping. And so I started telling a few friends, "Oh my gosh, I can pump and drive." And they thought that was the greatest and and so I realized, you know, after talking to some other moms, nothing like this existed. 
And so that's how I started, okay, I'm going to do some product development, form a company, taught myself internet marketing, taught myself web design, and um, how to write a patent and got myself out on the market. And it's and worked. so you have a patent, and it's pending, correct, Claire? Correct. And how can our listeners see how your hands-free pump bra works? Um, I have videos on my website, which is handsfreepumpbra.com. You can go on there. You can see there's videos of all the different chores. Because some moms, I, when I started my website, I put my email address up there, and I said, email me if you have any questions. And So I'd get moms like, can you really do chores with it? And I was like, absolutely. And then I thought, you know what? Why keep telling them? I'm just going to show them. So I put my pump on and went around the house, and I had um, I had it videotaped. I did laundry. I did the dishes. I checked my emails. I showed them exactly what you can do with this bra. I, I mean, it completely gives the pumping mom freedom. And so that's what, what I, I thought did. What I was also interesting is that you told me that you had pumped enough milk mm-hmm. uh, to store for three months. Correct. Now... Why did you want to do this? Were you testing out your concept so you could tell other people this was feasible so they wouldn't need to pump for three months? What was your objective? Um, at that point, at that point, it wasn't for the company and it wasn't for my product. It was for me. You know, I I felt like breast milk was really important to my baby and my life was getting busier and I was able to use this product round the clock and it helps maintain a woman's cycle and helps her pump more milk. So I was able to pump enough that I was pumping more than what my child was eating. So when she got to be, you know, seven months old, I didn't have to pump anymore and she was going to, she was going to go for months now on breast milk and I could be done. So it was the best of both worlds. Share how you have balanced your personal and professional life by changing your core identity. Okay. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, and my event planning business was ideal for that time. But once I had my daughter and trying to balance all that, I had to rearrange my priorities. I knew I still wanted to work and I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I needed something that was much more flexible and allowed time for family. It kept my daughter out of daycare. So when this opportunity came along, I knew it was the right fit for me because it fulfilled what you call as the blueprint was what I had in my head as my ideals. So Right. And your personal life, I think, is a substantial component to you. You know, there are all kinds of weightings. Some people wait there personal and professional is equal. Others weight the professional as maybe 75% of their life or even more. So would you say that it's 50-50? How would you weight your personal and your professional? Um, By far, I learned four years ago that my personal and my family life outweighs my professional. Okay. It's absolutely important to me 
to feel like I'm contributing and feel like I'm successful. Um, and I want to and I want to interact and be a part of the business world, but my family and and my my child are first and foremost at the forefront. So would you say that you would give, let's say, a weighting of seventy five percent to the professional and twenty five percent to the personal? Would that be accurate? Uh, the opposite. I I would give 75% to my personal and 25% to my professional. Good. I almost caught you, but you have got. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're listening, Claire. Uh, That's good. I like That's... the trick questions. <laughs> you like the trick questions. You're a very smart woman. You're a great entrepreneur. This is terrific. How will you handle future business growth to maintain the balance? Because that's why I asked you that question about the seventy-five twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's a great question. It's the same reason I don't do events anymore. I had to events is absolutely no question. It's my passion, but it requires long hours. It requires you to be away from your family. It, it requires you to travel, and that no longer fits to my top priorities so I had to switch and when this opportunity came along it fit again and so I think this company allows me to work from home and it allows me to you know I can spend two hours in the morning before she gets up getting answering emails getting orders filled updating website stuff and then I have breakfast with her and I play and she'll take a nap and I'll get more work done she goes to sleep I get more work done I, the beauty of having previously been an event planner, I'm very organized, very into to-do lists and logistics. So it's absolutely a matter of balancing and then knowing the right opportunities to take and when to change. I guess I envision that someday you may have these bras in stores. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, that is one of my goals is to not always have to be shipping just through the Internet, but to get it into stores and more accessible for other women. Well, we'll need to have you back at that time to talk further about the balancing because then you're almost going to have to be sort of, uh, oh, somebody who's walking on a tightrope because that's not going to be easy to do, I don't think. No. (laughs) No, but I'm definitely prepared for that. Kids get older. They become... They get into activities. They they go to school, and so hopefully my life can grow with my company. Any advice for new entrepreneurs? Um, absolutely. You you can't assume. I guess there's a certain succession. I believe there's a certain succession that people assume in life. They think they're gonna grow up, go to college, get a job, get married, have kids have some grandkids, retire, live live to be 80 years old. And it's not true. You can't assume that you have forever. You can't assume you get to follow life's traditional path. And if you work hard, set your blueprint, and you go get it, you'll be successful. Life doesn't come to you. Um, It'll pass you by. So if you don't have your blueprint and your ideals lined up, you're going to miss your opportunity. But when it comes along, you'll know and you work hard and it'll be a success. Well, I'm delighted that you mentioned about not making assumptions 
our listeners may be interested in reading Chapter 2 of Win Without Competing, Make No Assumptions, Open Those Doors. Thank you for joining me from Minnesota today, Claire. I wish you much luck in your hands-free pump bra business. Thank you very much, Dr. Barrow. It was a pleasure being part of your show. Absolutely. It was my pleasure as well. I appreciate your making our 50th show special. My next guest is Tracy Singer, an award-winning songwriter and singer who left the corporate world to become a work-at-home dad. Welcome, Tracy, to Win Without Competing. Thank you, Dr. Barrett. It's nice to be here. You have an MBA. I do, yes. Nearly 10 years ago, you were climbing up the corporate ladder and left when your first child was born. That's right. Why was your corporate position no longer the right fit for you, which prompted you to change core identities, or perhaps it was always the wrong fit, the corporate environment? What do you think? That's actually something for me to consider as I've been thinking of that. I, I know the first thing, uh, you know, a lot of my philosophies and my wife's philosophies are the same as Claire's. It's it's quite similar. You know, the first thing we knew is that we had to have a parent at home. You know, the idea of having our kids in daycare or with a nanny or granny, that would have been the rotten apples you talked about. We knew we wanted a parent at home, and we always assumed it would be my wife, but really when we started talking about it, I had been performing since age 11, and it had always been something I had done on the side. Well, here was my opportunity to not only be home with the kids, but to you know, turn my focus from a business standpoint, from a career standpoint, to music and to performing. And you know, I knew, and I think part of your question for you know, the corporate question, um, you know, I'm good at business, but, but music is really what I do and what I do really well. And to make that comparison took a lot of... A lot of courage, as you said, and a lot of guts to jump and make that decision. It's interesting that you decided early on to even get the MBA. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, what's of interest to me, that you started up the corporate ladder, right? and knowing that you loved music, did it have anything to do with your upbringing at all? I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with upbringing, sure. You know, I had a father who worked two jobs to support the family, and he didn't particularly like the jobs, and he always told me, you know, that that's not really a part of it. You, you don't like the jobs. You do what you have to do to support your family. And so there's a lot of that in mind. And I had, you know, I had been pretty newly married, and there is that thought. You want to take care of your family, and you want to contribute. And, and my wife had a decent job, and I really wanted to be a big part of that. And so absolutely, it's... It's not so much the core identity is sort of a, a matter of responsibility. Well, in essence, you, I think, probably did what your family would have recommended. Am I correct? From a, you know, from the perspective of security. Absolutely, there's there's no doubt about it. Even though they love to see me perform. I think the idea of security definitely would have been the overwhelming influence coming from parents. You started a new career as a musician while raising your first child, and then 
you had three more to raise. <laughs> now they are nine, seven, four, and two. And of course, yes. we know your wife participated here. We don't want to leave her out. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about your passion about music uh, as a child. How did it evolve? My passion in my childhood was, you know, my, my childhood was spent sitting in front of, we had the big old record player console, and I sat in front of the player listening to my Jesus Christ Superstar records and Elvis's greatest hits and all of the records that my parents had. And I would, you know, I had the little tape recorder that I would pretend I was a DJ and I would record shows. And it was always about what music was on and you know we would play around the pool and we'd have our transistor radio out playing the whole time there was there was never anything but music in our house tell us about the early years of your musical career as you were raising your children what was the focus of the music then well in retrospect for one thing it was easy having one child and doing music i thought it was difficult at the time um at first, I, you know, I focused on, from the performance side, you know, what, what I did well, and I, I realized I loved jazz standards and oldies, and I, you know, it took me a while. I performed in clubs and restaurants and um, eventually put together a one-man show where I performed jazz standards and the oldies and threw some comedy in and started to perform for corporate events and even just putting together shows at my own venues. I would find, you know, maybe churches or places like that that wanted to partner and go 50-50 on a show and we'd raise money for a cause and would do shows. And then at the same time, I was writing choral music, so I was writing music for choirs. About a year ago, you were struggling to balance your work with raising your children. You created a new blueprint, changing the focus of the music. You decided to marry the music with raising the children, and became a children's musician. You woke up in the middle of the night, and what happened? Well, there was a, it, was, it was day two of summer vacation for the kids, and like you said, for the first time I had four kids at home, and I tried on day one to write some choral music, and I quickly realized it was not going to happen. It, it takes a lot of concentration and focus, and I just assumed I was going to take the summer off from writing because there was no way I was going to be able to concentrate, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had this song running through my head, Where Did Summer Go? Where Did Summer Go? And it was this kid's song that didn't exist except in my mind. And even when I was sleeping, this chorus kept playing out in my mind. So I woke up the next day, and while the kids were playing, I wrote part of it. And over the next couple of days, I, I wrote this song. I found I could write you know, this, this song, which I knew was a child's song. I could write that while they were running around screaming, and I could focus on it. It even kind of added to the, the inspiration. And after that, I thought, well, that was pretty easy. I'll, I'll take another song idea I have, and I'll make that into a kid's song. And, you know, a couple of songs into it, I remember talking to my wife and telling her, you know, we've always talked about me possibly doing a children's album someday. Well, I'm doing it. It's the time right now. And it, I, I just knew it was the right thing to do. And by the end of the summer, I had 13 songs. And by the time two of our kids went back to school, I was ready to go into studio and start recording my album. Last summer, you released an award-winning album of children's songs entitled Sweets and Treats. Yes. Could you sing one of the songs from your CD, Tracy? I would love to. I'll just do a, I'll do a snippet of a song right now. This is the song Camping Trip, and it goes like this. 
We sat around the campfire, the smoke was very thick. I gathered up a marshmallow and I put it on a stick. The marshmallow was burning, so I waved it in the air. But it flew off like a rocket and set fire to Grandma's hair. Oh, let's go on a camping trip to see the great outdoors. There ain't no scene like a mountain green, and Mom will make some s'mores. We'll float on a tube down the river and go fishing from its shores. Let's go on a camping trip to see the great outdoors. I feel like I should be clapping. It's terrific, that song. I love it. Well, what about your children? Do they love your songs? It's wonderful. They do and they did. Let me, let me just say, they had to live through the whole process with me. They were really kind of my focus group. With every song I would write, they would either kind of give it the thumbs up or thumbs down. And, you know, kids are brutally honest when it comes to their parents. And, you know, by the time I started recording them, they already knew the songs. And when they first heard, you know, how the song sounded with full instrumentation and backup singers, they were just blown away and, and very proud. And, you know, the first place that we actually sold the album was kind of pre-release as a fundraiser for their school. And I think they were very proud of that because all of their classmates got to hear it and I gave free copies to each of the teachers. So very excited at first, but they live through it, you know, every hour of every day with me. So now I think if you ask them, they'd probably rather put on a different CD than mine. Well, that's understandable, but nevertheless, it must have been wonderful to have a focus group of four children at home. I did, and, and like you said, they cover kind of a little um, variety of ages, so I kind of got the perspectives of each age, and yeah, there, there was nothing like it. They were really helpful in the writing of the album. Are you in the process of doing another one? What 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 are your next what's your next step here? You know, as far as the children's album go, it's it's always in my brain. I have to make sure I sell enough CDs on the first album to pay for that one fully before I get going on the next one. But at some point I will probably seek some funding to get going on that. I, I always have songs in my minds but or in my mind. But in the meantime, you know, I'm working on other projects. I I just um co wrote a song on um kind of a, a cancer survivor, a book that's coming out that a lady wrote, and she wants to put a CD with a song with it, kind of an inspirational book about cancer survivor stories. So we wrote that, and she's going to look to get that published. And I'm going to be starting a project probably in the next few months where I, I want to do a single that is aimed toward raising money to fight you know, hunger and poverty in America. So you know, there's always a lot going on, and the, the children's album will be a part of that, and uh, I'm still kind of working on publicizing the first album before I get going on the second, but it'll definitely happen. How can our listeners uh, see your album, Tracy? <clears throat> well, th the best way to get access to it is uh, on my website, which is www.tracysinger.com. It's T-R-A-C-E-Y Singer. And actually, I will tell you, and this sounds like a horrible business plan, but don't buy it because in a few weeks for all of you people who are Facebook um, subscribers, I'm going to be launching a new fan page on Facebook, and as part of you know, a thank you to those people who become fans early, or now I think you just say you like me, I'm going to give away my entire CD as a download for free. So you know, if you're interested in receiving that when that happens, which will probably be in the next three to four weeks, I would say go to my website now and just email me. You'll get my email address through the website. Let me know you're interested, and I will email you when the time comes, and you can sign on for that. If you're, you know, if you're not a Facebook subscriber, please feel free to buy the CD, but you can listen to all the songs on, on the website. Wonderful. It's not easy for a dad to work at home and to market his music. No. 
what is your right fit solution which enables you to balance your work with being a dad? Well, you know, it, it's a lot like Claire mentioned. It's all about flexibility. I quickly found out, and especially as the number of kids were growing and growing, I quickly found out that, you know, if I want to get up in the morning and I think, boy, I'm going to work today from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. just doing music, that it's never going to happen. I have to get up and, you know, I have two kids at home, two in school, and if the two kids at home are occupied playing together, then I work on the music and the marketing and maybe I'm writing something. And the second they start hounding me to play a game with them or they're hungry, I know that that work is over and it does no good to fight it. And really, I think, you know, once I get past, once I got past that sort of struggle and just became flexible to, hey, let's, let's just live the day how it's going to go. We'll do music when we can do music and we'll parent when we need to parent. Um, it's made life a lot easier and the balance is there. And I, I think the other part of that is I, I recognize that life really comes in phases. You know, it, it's easy to kind of think, wow, this is my life and this is it forever. But I haven't found that to be true. And the truth is, in a few years, all four kids will be in school, and I will have from 8 to 3 p.m. to just focus on music. So I'm going to enjoy the time I have with the kids at home right now and you know, not, certainly not going to overlook that. It, it's a great pleasure and a great privilege. And, of course, Tracy, who knows, maybe number five could be arriving. <laughs> then you'll even have a, a greater challenge. <laughs> I guess you never know, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to see about that. Well, you sound very flexible, and it sounds like you love being at home. So does Claire. I mean, it's very clear that she really um, focuses on her personal life. What about the balance from your perspective between your professional and your personal? How would you weight the importance of each? I, I think it's the same answer. I would say probably 75 to 80% personal. And, you know, the professional comes second. Uh, you know, the true answer is if I, obviously, if I had to give up one, I'd give up the music in a heartbeat. I, I love being at home with the kids, and not only do I love it, I think it's very important for them to have a parent as the guiding force in their lives, especially at this young age when they're just so influential. So it, it's heavily weighted toward the personal. But, like I said, in a few years, it will flip, and it will be weighted a little more strongly to the professional. Life changes. What advice do you have for our listeners who are trying to balance their life? Well, it's kind of what I mentioned. First of all, flexibility is, is absolutely key. You cannot just, just think that you're going to bowl ahead and do one thing. You're going to have to be accepting of things as they come. But I think luckily we have a society that is accepting of that. It's no longer an eight-to-five society. There are lots of opportunities to work in flexible situations, whether it's telecommuting or working flexible hours. There are really a lot of possibilities out there. And, you know, secondly, like I said, recognize that life happens in phases. In most people in two-kid families, it's really not that long until your kids are both in school and you have that time to yourself. So I don't think you need to look at it as if, well, I have to give up my whole life for kids or I really need to get back to work. How about, you know, being a parent while they're young and then, then get back to work when they go back to school? I think it's really a strong option. Well, I think talking about it in terms of phases is very is a very good idea so that you see yourself basically as changing the phases, going leaving one phase, almost like a series of closing one door, opening another, closing one door, opening another. That's kind of how I visualize it. I totally agree. Yeah, once the children are, are all in school, clearly you can close that door. Right. So that that's... That's, I think, a very good way of looking at it. 
Thank you for joining me today, Tracy, from California. I wish you much success as a children's musician. We'll be watching for your next CDs. Thank you, and congratulations on show number 50. Thank you, and thank you for making show number 50 special. You're welcome. Let's go back to the core identity assumptions quotient quiz and find out how you did. I think our guests, Claire and Tracy, gave us excellent insight into core identity. Question one, I will never have to change my core identity. Clearly, if you change the balance between your personal and professional life, you may have to make changes with respect to core identity. I basically see profession as something that can be adapted. So that, for example, let's say you are a physician who starts as a practicing physician, and then you decide, I no longer want to see patients. I want to do something else with my knowledge. In that situation, you may decide that you want to become a medical director. Take an accountant, someone who's a CPA. They may have been working hands-on, but again, they no longer want to work hands-on. Instead of being, for example, a VP of finance or a CFO, they may decide that they want to become the COO or the CEO of a company. So there's many ways of taking a profession and switching things. On the other hand, you may decide that you want to make an entire change so that you would change your profession. And I think that happened with both uh, Tracy and Claire. They changed their profession. So that's another way of looking at it. Question two, I have searched for my core identity throughout my life and decided that I cannot find it. I have worked with hundreds, literally, of people and talked with them about their core identity. What I have uncovered is that the reason they have difficulty Finding it has to do with passion. Passion is your career fuel. It propels you. If you cannot find your passion, it's difficult to identify your core identity. Think back about the kinds of things you used to like to do as a child and see if you can get in touch with your passion. Question three, my personal life has no effect on my core identity. I think that we've clearly discussed the impact of the personal life with respect to the core identity, and clearly it will depend on the extent to which you weight the importance of 
your personal life in relation to your professional. Also, too, sometimes there may be health issues, your own or family, which would, again, impact how you can implement your core identity. Question four. I cannot change my career. I cannot change my core identity over and over throughout my life. Yes, you can. You can change your core identity as many times as you need to, especially in a situation where you have an economy that is difficult to get perhaps a position that you had before and you've been thinking about making a change or adapting the core identity, as I had described, taking it from one setting and putting it into another, you should be prepared to do that. Change is very important in terms of looking at it from a perspective of opportunity. Your ability to change quickly can make the difference between success and failure. Welcoming opportunity is important. To welcome opportunity, you need to change your behavior quickly. Question five. I must follow in the footsteps of my family in selecting my core identity. Many people who take that route then become very unhappy, especially people who decide that either if their parents or both are attorneys or physicians and want to follow in the footsteps after they finish their training, they decide that the profession is the wrong fit. Figure out your passion and then follow it. All the questions are false. Please join me on Wednesday, May 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time for my next Win Without Competing show, which is part two of the Core Identity series. Many are struggling with their core identities at this time and need a framework to find the solution. To listen to archived Win Without Competing shows, please visit drbarrow.com. That's D-R-B-A-R-R-O.com. To learn more about my Right Fit Method, visit winwithoutcompeting.com. Sign up for my professional and personal newsletters on the homepage. Read excerpts from Win Without Competing. Learn how to master the right fit method and change both your professional and personal life. Visit the career coaching and personal coaching pages. As a professional speaker, I motivate audiences to throw out their barrels of rat-infested apples, rotten apples, and switch to the standard of right fit. To contact my office, please call 310-441-5305. 
310-441-5305. My company, Barrow Global Search, Inc., is based on the west side of Los Angeles near UCLA. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road and you will find professional and personal success. Thank you for listening to the Win Without Competing show. Goodbye for now, Dr. Arlene.